Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode 32, our final episode of 2022. Shout out to all the homies checking this out right now. I appreciate all of you. So a little bit of a different episode today. Obviously, the UFC is done for the year, PFL done for the year. So today we're going to do a rapid recap of UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus Strickland. Then we're going to take a look back at our first year together with the podcast, touch on a few special topics, things to look forward to in 2023, as well as taking a look at our champions from 2022. So let's go ahead and dive into that rapid recap. Wrestling heavy fight night to end our 2022 year, which I don't mind. I still enjoyed watching the grappling, but it would have been nice if we had maybe just a few more finishes throughout the night. Five of the 13 fights ended by finish, so eight decisions. I'm all for watching ground wars in MMA. I think it's really exciting to see the intricacies of the ground battle, but it, it, there's a fine line between controlling an opponent to a decision win versus trying to actually finish the fight on the ground. And I think we had a few moments, especially late in some of these fights, where the guy knew he had the wrestling advantage. He'd get the third round takedown and then just kind of hang out to make sure that he would get the win, as opposed to working for that finish. So I would have liked to see a bit more of the finishing on the ground, but it was still a good night of fights, a nice wrap-up to our 2022 year. And let's dive into it, starting with Sergey Morozov versus Journey Newsom. Newsom led the striking exchanges to start this fight, which led to him scoring early because Morozov wasn't counter-striking much. He was just kind of waiting around, really patient. But then halfway through the round, Morozov shot in for the takedown and got a double-leg slam takedown. I told you on the podcast last week that I thought Morozov would wrestle his way to a victory, and Newsom really just couldn't get Morozov's hands separated once he got the initial takedown in round one. Morozov never let go, constantly rode him for the whole round, controlled him. He would not let Newsom get up, but if he did, he'd take him right back down over and over. Round one to Morozov pretty clearly. To start round two, I thought the striking aggression by Newsom was good in this round. Uh, he was more active on the feet, but kind of like I alluded to to start the podcast, same story. Morozov got the takedown midway through the round and controlled the rest of the round. Morozov round two. Newsom took his striking up even another notch in round three. He knew his only chance was to try to win this fight on the feet. Again, though, Morozov timed a level change for a takedown when Newsom threw a punch. Dropped right under the punch, grabbed the hips, lifted and slammed. Morozov did what I told you he would do last week, which was wrestle his way to a decision win. David Dvorak versus Manel Kopp. Not a whole lot of strikes to start this fight, with only one landed strike through a minute and a half. This fight was a bit odd to me. Two fighters with a lot of power and finishing capabilities that almost seemed to slow these fighters down because they were scared of being finished instead of going after it themselves. Both guys were really tentative to start this fight. But then with two minutes left in round one, David Dvorak got himself a takedown. Kopp did perform well on the ground in round one as he went for a few different submission attempts, had a super deep Kimura to end round one. I thought Dvorak's arm was actually going to snap in round one. He had that Kimura so deep, but he survived the round onto round two with Manel Kopp up the first round. Kopp was in control in round two on the feet. Dvorak still landed some clean strikes, but Kopp was more active with two 
heavy arms to strike with to healthy arms to strike with, I would almost say. Because again, with that super deep Kimura on Dvorak, I was wondering a little bit if he suffered any damage. The ref checked him out. He lifted him above his head, said he's good to go. That Kimura was super deep, though, guys. I don't know. It seemed like he was kind of babying it a little bit for most of round two. Kape dropped to Dvorak midway through round two, had Dvorak a little fuzzy. Cop let him back up to the feet, and Cop dropped Dvorak a second time. Really just no idea how Dvorak survived round two with a 10-8 round for Cop. So he survived round one by the bell, super deep Kimura attempt. Then he survived round two, getting knocked down twice, but it was still a 10-8 round in my opinion for Cop. Through two rounds, it totaled three times that I thought the fight was close to ending. Round three was the closest round, but I think Cop outstruck Dvorak still in the third. Somehow, I really don't know how, but somehow we saw the judges and Manel Cop got the decision. Brian Battle versus Renat Fakhretdinov. Renat got a slam double leg takedown to start this fight, and Brian Battle didn't look like a dead fish under there. I mean, he was working hard on the ground. You could tell he has some jujitsu skills. He constantly worked, okay? So Brian got taken down a lot in this fight, but he kept battling, kept working on the ground. It's just Renat is extremely talented at wrestling. He maintained top position, landed strong ground and pound, just relentless wrestling and ground and pound from Renat to win round one. Ba- Brian Battle was actually cut over the right eye to start round two, and Renat got another takedown to start round two. He went back to work with the ground and pound. Brian Battle went for submissions from the bottom, specifically the Kimura and the triangle. Brian Battle worked his way back to his feet. He went for a choke. Doing so, gave up position. Renat took him down and got out of it again. I mean, Renat was just one step ahead in this fight through all the grappling exchanges. Renat actually dropped Battle in the third with a strong right hand, and they were back to wrestling on the mats. Renat Fakhretdinov got the decision win. Rafa Garcia versus Mahashate. Mahashate was really the much larger fighter in the cage, which we discussed last week. I told you guys that there would be a pretty big size difference. It's just, it's always interesting when you actually see it live in the cage. And Garcia, early on, just like we knew he would have to, was just trying to figure out how to close that distance. Each time Garcia would get a single leg in round one, Mahashate was able to keep his balance and escape without being taken down. Garcia, though, While I thought he would have to use his wrestling to get in tight to win this fight, he was able to strike pretty well. Even with the length disadvantage, he was able to close that distance, and it was a pretty close first round. I gave the slight advantage to Garcia with the more damaging strikes, and round two was just massive damage for Mahashate as he opened up a huge cut to the side of the head on Garcia. Some reports came out now saying that that cut actually split an artery in his head. He was just spitting blood in the cage. It was really... One of the more severe cuts that I think I've seen in MMA. Garcia did get a takedown in the middle of round two. And once Garcia got the takedown, he was on top. Blood was just gushing from his head and he had top control and blood was just dumping onto Mahashate. I actually felt kind of bad for him because it was a little bit gross. Both of these guys were getting covered in blood. Garcia got a second takedown in round two and worked to the back of Mahashate. Even though Garcia was bleeding like crazy, he kept working for the finish via ground and pound and submissions on the ground. He was always in dominant positions. Hard to get submissions when you're both covered in blood. You're a little bit slippery. The second round I thought was very tough to judge because the cut happened in that round, which was very evident, huge damage. But other than the cut, Garcia dominated with wrestling, ground and pound, submission attempts, dominant positions on the ground. Really a great fight so far through two rounds. 
Mashate landed that impactful strike, but Garcia dominated the wrestling, and I thought Garcia dominated the striking otherwise in that round as well, so I gave round two to Garcia. And Garcia continued to wrestle very well in round three. And Mahashate seemed a bit tired during round three, so I gave round three to Garcia as well in the decision win, and the judges seemed to agree. That, I thought, was one of the better decision fights that we had on the night, because these guys really were battling very hard. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. Immediately into wrestling with this fight. Like I told you guys, very wrestling, grappling, heavy night. Saeed Nurmagomedov, he's actually a pretty good striker. He usually prefers striking. He has a lot of spinning attacks. But he's, you know, we went straight into wrestling with this one. Saeed Yakub is a big wrestler, so it was a good test to see how Saeed Nurmagomedov could handle that. Saeed Nurmagomedov caught a guillotine choke against the cage and pulled guard to the ground. He really started to squeeze it tight, but Kakramanov was able to survive, slowly work his way out, and found himself on top on the ground in the guard of Saeed. These fighters flowed on the ground. It was really impressive to watch, but Kakramanov was, for most of this fight, just one step ahead, staying in the dominant positions and escaping submissions from the bottom from Nurmagomedov. Until Saeed Nurmagomedov was able to get back up to his feet. He always did a good job working to get back up, working to get back into a standing position. And as soon as he would, Saeed would let the kicks go, spinning attacks go, which we've seen him do so many times before. He would immediately start to let go with the striking, trying to get some points to make up for the time spent on the ground. Great first round. I gave the slight edge to Kakramanov. Kakramanov went right back to the well in round two and immediately started wrestling and taking the back of Saeed. He was attacking with utmost confidence in these wrestling exchanges. Saeed Nurmagomedov kept scrambling, kept fighting, defending takedowns. And in round two, Saeed Nurmagomedov went for it again, and he caught a guillotine choke submission win for the come-from-behind win for Saeed Nurmagomedov. Because I thought the wrestling of Kakramanov was just too much. Saeed was battling well. But the wrestling was too much where I did think that Saeed Nurmagomedov was about to fall behind uh, two rounds to none. But he caught that guillotine submission choke win. Jake Matthews versus Matthew Semmelsberger. This fight started off super slow. Both fighters were cautious of the power coming from their opponent. And that was proven to be true as Semmelsberger eventually dropped Jake with a powerful right hook. Somehow Jake survived it to get back to his feet. But then Semmelsberger hit him with another hard punch and tra transitioned that into a takedown. This was a banger of a fight, just like we knew it would be. These guys were throwing with a lot of power. Round one went to Semmelsberger, and round two was a nice striking battle as well. That saw Jake having a little bit more success. Jake Matthews was building momentum. And this is kind of the story of this fight. Jake Matthews building momentum, and then Semmelsberger dropped him again late in round three to maybe win the round. But I kept it with Jake for his cumulative damage in that round. Very close second round. Excuse me. Semmelsberger dropped Jake late in round two to maybe win that round. So it was a very close round. I did give it to Jake. Semmelsberger started round three with another knockdown of Jake with another right hand. And Jake had to find a finish if he wanted to win. And round three was just similar to round two. Uh, Jake would maybe land more strikes. Maybe get some takedowns. It was just a very close fight. Uh, it would depend on how much weight the judges put into knockdowns in rounds two and three. The judges liked those knockdowns to give the decision to Matthew Semmelsberger. I wasn't upset with it. Essentially what happened, guys, is 
particularly rounds two and three. Jake Matthews got off more strikes. He landed more strikes. But Semmelsberger would land the more damage. He'd land the knockdown. He threw fewer punches, landed fewer punches, but they were more impactful. Ultimately, damage is a big part of the scoring criteria, so I do think the judges got it right, but I think it was a a closer fight than it looked because Jake Matthews was getting knocked down a lot, but when he wasn't on the ground, he was striking with more volume. Cheyenne Vlismas versus Corey McKenna. Surprisingly, McKenna initiated most of the striking, even though she had a massive reach disadvantage. Vlismas made sure to still counter-strike, and she did it well, but I thought that in round one, she could have pumped that jab out there a little more because she could hit and not get hit at her striking range. She had a big reach advantage, and instead of using the jab to maintain distance so that she could punch Corey McKenna without getting hit back, she used more of a counter-striking approach. The first round was pretty close, but McKenna got a late-round takedown that may have been enough to give her the round. Round two was a lot of clinch grappling against the cage, Blizmos landed some nice distance punches early, so she finally started to use those long-range weapons. But McKenna worked her way inside, finished the round with a takedown, so another very close round that was maybe decided by that takedown. And that was kind of the story of this fight, is maybe fairly even on the feet, but then Corey McKenna would get a takedown. She's a very excellent grappler, and that would kind of, you know, throw the round her way. And to start round three... McKenna got an early takedown, and Blizmos tried to go for submissions, and she couldn't find her way back up to her feet at that point in the fight. To no avail, decision win for Corey McKenna. That took us to our main card, Cody Brundage versus Michael Olegzuchik. Smart game plan for Brundage. I told you in the podcast last week that if Brundage could get one takedown around, that I thought he would win, because he would be tough to shake off. He's very talented with takedowns. And Brundage worked his way to the back of Michael. Michael was just trying to power his way out of the bad positions. And it actually did eventually work. And Michael was on top at the midpoint of round one. I thought Michael had to use a lot of energy, though. And I thought in round one that he may not be able to escape this fight if it went to a third round. Cody Brundage had the grappling advantage. Michael Olegzuchik made sure that that wouldn't matter. (laughs) Wasn't needed, though. As soon as Michael Olegzuchik was able to reverse the position on the ground, get in the top position, he used that to get the ground and pound win in round one. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. This fight was a fun fight, like we knew it would be. Bobby Green had his hands down low and was fighting with swag like we expect. He has a unique style of striking, keeping his hands down around his hips. It creates odd angle strikes. He landed very accurately because he'd throw them up from that angle. Uh, It's just tough to prepare for. You don't spar with a lot of people that don't protect their face. (laughs) It was a high-paced fight as well. Both fighters were throwing, landing a lot of strikes. Dober struggled a bit with the striking of Bobby Green, and his face was pretty bloody by the end of round one. Fun round one going to Bobby Green. Drew Dober was striking a little better in round two with a spinning back fist landed as well in that round. He was also starting to mix up the strikes a bit with some hard low leg kicks as well. Dober started, he just looked a little bit more comfortable entering the second round. These guys were fighting in a phone booth and then Drew Dober landed a powerful left hook that knocked out Bobby Green. Beautiful finish. And it's really what this night needed. That finish seemed to really kind of propel the fight night forward. It was pretty late in the fight night, but we needed a finish of that level, of that, of that level of precision and power 
to really kind of get the fans going and, and us sitting at home going, okay, this is, that was nice. Alex Caceres versus Julian Arosa just fed off of that energy, I guess, because this was just amazing. Lots of leg kicks early from both fighters. They were both finding some striking success. The fight was just flowing along. And then Alex Caceres threw a left hook and followed it up with a left kick. A little bit delayed. Right to the chin of Julian Arosa that shut the lights off. First round knockout for Alex Caceres. Really perfectly set up. He threw the left hook to hide the left kick coming through behind it. He had to delay it just a little bit for his balance purposes. I mean, it was beautiful. The timing, the setup, the strike itself perfectly on the chin. Clean knockout for Alex Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. An impressive balance and hip dexterity to even get a kick like that off. Really impressive head kick knockout. Amir Abazi versus Alessandro Costa. This fight started off surprisingly slow with how big of a favorite Albazi was. I thought he would come out, shot out from a cannon, looking for a quick day in the office, looking to make a point that he is much better than this guy making his UFC debut, and that was just not the case. Costa had good takedown defense in round one. He did fairly well striking with Albazi. It was surprising, and I actually gave round one to Costa. Round two was a different Albazi. I think he realized, like, oh, I'm messing up. This guy's making his UFC debut. I'm a ranked fighter. I, I should be making a statement here. And he dropped Costa early with an overhand right followed by left jab. And then Albazi jumped on top for some good ground and pound. He kept Costa there for the entire round for a 10-9. Maybe 10-8 for Albazi. I'd probably lean 10-9. Uh, but definitely round two goes to Albazi. And Albazi ducked under a Costa strike to change levels and get a takedown to start round three. So Costa worked his way back up after about a minute. Once back on the feet, Amir Albazi landed a heavy right uppercut, really nicely placed right to the chin that dropped Costa, and Albazi knocked him out with a follow-up ground-and-pound shot. So the ball's really rolling here. Three straight finishes. I thought each one pretty impressive in how the finishing sequence took place. I did expect Albazi to finish this fight much earlier to make more of a statement, but still a good finish. I think if that had gone to a decision, it would have been a pretty bad look for him. As a ranked fighter fighting someone who took the fight on short notice, who's also making the UFC debut. Now, that being said, I think uh, Alessandro Costa did perform very well for those circumstances. And I would love it if the UFC gave him another shot, giving him a full camp to prepare for a fight. Because he did go, you know, two and a half rounds with a top 10 ranked fighter in the UFC on short notice making his UFC debut. Circumstantially, I think he did a good job. I think we give him another fight in the UFC. That took us to our co-main event, Armand Sarukian versus Damir Ismagulov. These fighters were exchanging on the feet to start this one off, but Armand got the takedown at around one minute into this fight and started to work on positioning. Demir got the fight back to the feet. He did a pretty good job defending takedowns after that. Demir really has excellent balance, and he made sure to constantly hand fight to counter the takedowns from Armand. But Armand's just relentless with his takedowns, and it's just a style of fight where he knows successful or unsuccessful with the takedown attempt. He can just keep doing them over and over and over again. Eventually, you're going to get tired. So Armand went for a later round takedown that Demir was able to benefit from by ending up on top. But Armand got a quick reversal and they were back to their feet. 
really good close first round. And it started to kind of separate from there, I feel like. Very close round for Armand Sarukian in round one. A grappling war continued in round two, still dominated by Sarukian. He took the back in round two, got Demir down on the ground to work on a rear naked choke. Demir does have skill himself, though, as he was able to escape the submission, get back to his feet. I mean, Demir Ismagulov had a good showing. He really did battle hard for every position, battled hard to escape, battled hard to get reversals. He did everything he could. <laughs> he does have the skill, but as soon as he'd get back to his feet, it'd force Armand to shoot for another takedown, and then he'd have to work hard again to keep this fight standing. Nothing came easy to Demir because of Armand Sarukian. By the end of round two, Armand was up two rounds and had completed only five of 16 takedowns. But man, that's a lot of takedowns to defend through two rounds. Enough to win two rounds was certainly very hard work for Armand Sarukian as well. Let's not shy away from the fact that that's a lot of energy he's putting out there, but he has that gas tank. Round three was much of the same, with Armand getting a takedown, taking the back, going for the submission. He just never let up. Like I said, Armand Saryukin got the decision win in a pure wrestling domination, really. And that took us to our main event, Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. I was... Pretty accurate with how I thought I thought this fight would go, but I was a little surprised by a few things. So I did say on the podcast last week I thought this fight would go long. I thought that Sean would be more defensive, having coming off of a knockout or a little bit more hesitant, if you will. And Jared Cannonier, I didn't think he'd throw a ton of volume. He picked it up a little bit more than we've seen in the past. So this was a good fight. There were a little a couple things that surprised me. But uh, overall, I said the fight would go long, and it did. That much I knew for certain. Strickland started off surprisingly slow with his striking compared to what we typically have seen in the past. And I think he was a little more patient with the power of Jared Cannonier. He does have crazy knockout power. And again, I think it's because Sean Strickland came away from his knockout loss in his last fight. So a little bit more defensive, a little bit more cautious early. And Strickland even got a takedown in round one, which we don't see him do very often. After they returned to the feet, Strickland started to pump the jab out there a little bit more. I think the concerns from his last fight were starting to fade. He gained confidence, I think, as the fight went on. Pretty close first round with almost even strike counts, so we went with Strickland due to the takedown. Cannonier was landing some very hard leg kicks on Strickland, and Sean was not really doing anything to check those kicks most of the time. He just kind of ate them. And with the power of Cannonier, I gotta think those leg kicks were really hurting. Cannoneer, plus the leg kicks, he's got crazy power in his hands, and he kicked the volume up in his striking in round two, which I was worried would impact his gas tank if this fight went late like I thought it would. But at this point in the fight, I gave round two to Cannoneer, all evened up entering the third, and Strickland started to kick it up a bit as well in round three with his volume striking. He started to let the combos go. Cannoneer was still throwing punches with knockout power and bad intentions. This fight is just like I told you it would be last week. It was the power of Cannoneer versus the striking volume and point striking of Strickland. Really close round. Uh, Strickland kept the volume up, but the power was still on the side of Cannoneer as the fight got late. It was a razor close fight as we finished the first of the main event rounds. Strickland landed a few more shots, but I gave round four to Cannoneer for landing more impactful strikes. On my card, the fight was to be decided in the fifth. I had it 2-2 entering the fifth. Every round was so close, though, I really was uncertain. 
I thought whoever won the fifth round would probably win the fight. Um, just because it was so close, but man, that was that was a real. This was a really close fight, really good matchmaking. On my card, the fight was to be decided in the fifth, and the fifth was just as tight. Unfortunately, it stayed tight. Cannoneer's volume, though, he kept it pretty high. Usually, he sits a little bit and looks for that power knockout strike. Today, he was letting the hands go a little bit more, and that's really nice to see as far as a development in his game, because. Whether he's throwing at 110% power and ferociousness or throwing a strike out there to make sure he's putting punches out at his opponent, he's got power in every single punch he throws. So I really liked seeing the increase in his volume. And Strickland's longer combos were landing as well. It was just more traditional Strickland in round five, I thought, where he wouldn't hit you with one punch, two punch. It was four punches, five punches. And maybe they weren't all landing, but he was throwing them out there. Cannonier did land some flush power strikes that started to bloody up Strickland just a bit in round five. Damage is scored more these days. So by the end of the fifth round, looking at the whole round as a whole, I gave round five to Cannonier in the win. Extremely close fight. The judges gave the split decision to Jared Cannonier, which looking at the fight as a whole and my scorecard, I thought that was correct. But it was a very close fight, very good fight. That wraps up our rapid recap. Let's take a look at our bets. All right, as we review our bets for the final time in 2022, as always, please remember to bet responsibly. So we'll start off with the UFC prelim matchups. Sergey Morozov versus Journey Newsom. This was a no bet for the podcast. I told you I was leaning Sergey Morozov, and he did get the win. David Dvorak versus Manel Kopp. Fight to not go the distance at minus 106 was a loss. Crazy loss. Terrible bad beat as the fight was almost ended three times. But that's the fight game, you know. Sometimes you're just surviving till the bell, and Dvorak was able to do that, so he got the loss. Uh, so Menel Cape did get the win, but I really thought we were going to catch that ticket. Brian Battle versus Renat Fakretdinov. We had Brian Battle moneyline plus one twenty three as an underdog. That was a loss. We ran with a few underdogs in this one, and it didn't work out for us. Rafa Garcia versus Mahashate was a no bet for the pod. I was leaning Rafa, Rafa Garcia. And he did get the win. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Said Yokub Kokramanov. We had Saeed Nurmagomedov money line minus 118 for the win. If you remember, Julian Marquez versus Duran Wynn was scheduled to fight on this night. That was our only two-unit bet that we had lined up for the fight. Fight got canceled due to Duran Wynn injury on fight week. Jake Matthews versus Matthew Semmelsberger. We had Jake Matthews money line minus 250 for a loss. So big money out there if you took Matthew Semmelsberger. Props to you. The prelims ended with Cheyenne Vlismos versus Corey McKenna. That was a no bet for the podcast. I was leaning Corey McKenna, and she got the win. For the UFC main card, we had Cody Brundage versus Michael Olegzuchik. Cody Brundage, Moneyline plus 220, was our biggest underdog of the night that we took. Whoops, <laughs> that was a loss. He was using the methods I thought he would use to win this fight with his wrestling. But when he got reversed and Olegzuchik was on top and started raining down the ground and pound, I was like, oh crap, this is not good. Uh, Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. We went with Drew Dober, Moneyline, minus 150 for the win. Alex Caceres versus Julian Arosa. We went with Julian Arosa, Moneyline, minus 165 for the loss. I thought Julian Arosa would try to get some takedowns to try to fight this more on the ground than we saw previously. Amir Albazi versus Alessandro Costa. 
Amir Albazi by finish, minus 115 was a win. Almost not. I mean, that was a third-round finish. He kind of played with his food a little bit, I guess. Armin Sarukyan versus Demir Ismagulov. Fight to go the distance at minus 225 was a win. And Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland over two and a half rounds. Minus 275 was a win. Really wish I'd taken over three and a half rounds. Uh, I looked at that a lot. I should have pulled the trigger, but... UFC on the Saturday, we were down 1.8 units. We went 5-5. Five and five. Not a great record for us. And like I said, we had no going back for more bets because the only fight that we had as a two-unit bet ended up falling through. Now, the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlay that we originally said on the podcast was voided because of the fight cancellation with Julian Marquez and Duran Wynn. So hopefully you checked the podcast social media pages like I tell you to do right before the fights every Saturday. We went with a new parlay that I didn't like as much, but we stuck with it. Uh, it was Jake Matthews' money line, so you already know how this went. Amir Albazi money line and Drew Dober versus Bobby Green over one and a half rounds, plus 109. It was unfortunately a loss due to that Jake Matthews fight result. Otherwise, we would have cashed that parlay. That wraps up our bet review. Let's take a look at verdict and give out some podcast awards. Forgetful night on verdict for us and our final scorecard for the UFC of the year. We sadly did not walk away with any medals. We went with some underdogs that didn't pan out this past Saturday, and we were unable to recover. We'll get back on the podium in 2023. But the Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards, we'll start with the mac and cheese UFC prelims performance of the night. I'm giving that to Saeed Nurmagomedov. He had a come-from-behind submission win. It was also only his fifth submission win as a pro. I just thought it was really impressive. I thought he was losing that fight. I thought he'd want to stand and strike, but the fight kept going to the ground. He kept going for submissions, and he finally found it. So a really good job for him. And what I thought, ultimately, the fight was on its way to a loss. He was battling well, though, and he was able to get the finish. Our Chicken and Dumplings UFC main card performance of the night. This one was very tough. Huge shout-out to Alex Caceres. That kick was beautiful. But we did go Drew Dober. For his come-from-behind knockout win in round two versus Bobby Green. Bobby Green was putting the volume striking on him. Drew Dober carries that power in his hands. He found the strike he was looking for. Absolutely shut the lights off on Bobby Green. It was a really impressive finishing sequence. Again, just like Alex Viserys in his fight. That was amazing. Tough pick. Got to go with one guy. I did go with Drew Dober in this one. That wraps up our podcast awards. Let's talk about some special topics. So with no UFC fights to finish out our 2022 year, I thought it would be fun to take a look back at our champions as of now in the UFC and power rank them based on how their year was. These are the power rankings for the 2022 year for the current champions. We'll start with the women's rankings. Coming in at number four, featherweight champion Amanda Nunes. <laughs> Did not have a single title defense at featherweight in 2022. Um, this is kind of tongue in cheek. This is a very this is a very thin division. There's no official rankings, 
it I do think it's really time that the UFC focused on enhancing this division since it can lead to exciting women's MMA fights because these women tend to have a bit more knockout power. We're seeing success in the PFL with women's featherweight, women's lightweight. The UFC has just kind of been slow, hesitant. I don't know what the holdback is on expanding the women's featherweight division, but I think it could be one of their best divisions if they beef it up. So I don't know if in 2023 they'll bring in more women's featherweight fighters or not, but obviously with no featherweight title defenses for Nunes, that's going to come in at number four. Number three, featherweight champion Valentina Shevchenko. Maybe surprising, and guys, this is just how the year was for 2022. Obviously, Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes are number one and two, pound for pound, maybe even all-time women's MMA fighters, probably. So, again, this is just a 2022 year. Don't yell at me. <laughs> but Valentina Shevchenko's coming in. She had one fight. She went 1-0 in 2022, and it was a split decision win against challenger Talia Santos with results of 48-47, 47-48, and 49-46. So this was by far one of Valentina's closest fights in recent years, several years, really. And I don't really have an explanation for you as to why she only fought once this year. That seemed a little strange. I felt like she could have had two fights, but just didn't. So she's coming in at three. Number two, bantamweight champion Amanda Nunes. So she's on here twice. Uh, she did defend her bantamweight title. She went 1-0 in 2022 with a win over Juliana Pena to regain her bantamweight champion belt in dominant fashion. It was a five-round decision. But Nunez dominated to 50-43, 50-44, and 50-45 scorecards. 50-43 is incredible. While Amanda did only have one fight in 2022, she did coach the Ultimate Fighter Season 30 leading up to that fight as well. So she made sure to keep herself relevant. I would have loved to see her fight twice in 2022 as well. But to me, she just did a little bit more than Valentina, and her win was crazy impressive and shout out to juliana pena for making it five rounds that was a brutal beatdown, for being honest so coming in at number one in the women's rankings we have the strawweight champion zhang wei li 2-0 in 2022 with wins over joanna zhang jacek by second round knockout and a second round submission win in the championship fight against carla esparza to recapture her strawweight belt that she held in 2020 very impressive for Zhang Wei Li. She's going to come in at number one in our power rankings. That takes us to the men's power rankings for 2022 current champions. Coming in at number eight, light heavyweight champion, Jerry Prochaska. Want to know in 2022, and yes, I am counting him for this exercise. Uh, technically, he relinquished his title at the end of the year due to a shoulder injury. So there is no current champion at the light heavyweight division. I know that. You know that. He didn't lose his belt in the fight. And he won this belt in the 2022 calendar year against UFC veteran Glover Teixeira by submission in the fifth round of a fantastic fight, potential fight of the year. Since he isn't technically the champion, I did put him in last place to maintain a small amount of integrity for this activity, but I was not going to leave off Jerry Prochaska just because there is no champion in the light heavyweight division. But I think in my eyes and the eyes of a lot of fans, he is still our champion. He didn't lose his belt. He did the right thing for the division by relinquishing the title due to a long recovery he will need from his shoulder injury. I respect that, and he stayed on our rankings even though he's technically not the champion. 
Coming in at number seven, heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. Huge Francis Ngannou fan. Uh, he was 1-0 in 2022. He defended his belt against the outstanding striker Cyril Gaon to a five-round decision, 48-47, 49-46, and 48-47. And was was expected to be a stand-up war, Francis showed a new wrinkle in his game by wrestling very well and getting multiple takedowns. It was later revealed that he defended his belt in that fight with a serious knee injury that required surgery, and that forced him to miss the remainder of the year. So I feel bad knocking him a little bit. He's a fairly active fighter prior to this. I think he would have fought a second time in 2022 had he not had to rehab a knee injury. But with the one fight, it going to decision at the heavyweight weight class, he's coming in at seven. I'm a huge Francis Nagano fan. I can't wait to see him return in 2023. There's word on the street that they're trying to do him versus John Jones. That will be really fun to watch. So. Francis, I hope you're healing up well. Looking forward to seeing you back soon, but you're coming in at number seven. Number six, flyweight champion Davison Figueiredo. I thought long and hard about putting Brandon Moreno, who's an interim champion in this division, in these rankings as well. I decided to leave him out just because he's not, he's an interim champion. That is a champion, but the true flyweight champion is Davison Figueiredo. He went 1 0 in 2022, regaining his flyweight champion belt from Brandon Moreno via a five-round unanimous decision of 47-48, 47-48, in their trilogy fight. These fighters are so evenly matched that we are set for a fourth fight for the belt in early 2023 after Brandon Moreno finished Kaikara France following this fight to set himself up for another title fight, and that was the interim title fight. All three fights between Figueiredo and Moreno have been instant classics, and the fourth matchup will likely be the same. I put Davison in here at six just because Moreno and Figueredo are just in a whole world of their own in this weight class. So the fact that he was able to beat Brandon Moreno is just a really impressive win to me. Coming in at number five, bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling. Sterling 2-0 in 2022 with a title defense rematch against Peter Yan and a second round knockout win over TJ Dillashaw. I really wanted to put Aljo higher. <laughs> He's had trouble escaping controversy. He had a split decision win against Peter Yan that was really close, and a second round knockout win over Dillashaw, who later retired, and it was reported that he fought with a severely compromised shoulder injury that he suffered during the training camp, and we saw in that fight his shoulder kept dislocating over and over again. It's not really Aljamain Sterling's fault. Uh... He's winning fights. Like, it shouldn't count against him, and I'm not holding it against him. But he needs to have a healthy title defense against someone where he can really submit them, ideally, and just put, the, put away all doubt and all questions. He's in one of the hardest divisions in the UFC, and he is the champion. He deserves his respect. On this list, he's coming in at five, but I do have a lot of respect for Aljamain Sterling. Number four, welterweight champion Leon Edwards. Now, Leon only had one fight in 2022, but it was a win, and he took the belt from the pound-for-pound number one, Kamaru Usman, former champ, with a perfectly placed kick in the fifth round to get the knockout win with less than a minute left. He's this high. He's above Aljo strictly due to circumstances. He took one less fight, but holy crap. Usman was winning on the scorecards. He was on his way to defending his title yet again. With one minute left, his coaches 
urging him on, trying to get the most they could out of Leon Edwards. They finally got it out of him with one minute left in the fight. Leon Edwards landed the perfect finishing kick that absolutely put Usman to sleep. Amazing comeback. Probably the moment of the year. But not at the very top of this list because he was beat up for the majority of that fight. He was on the way to losing. But man, incredibly placed kick. If you have not watched that highlight, what are you doing? Go look it up right now. Coming in at number three, middleweight champion Alex Pereira. The most active of our current champions in 2022. He went 3-0 in the UFC. He fought three times. He won a unanimous decision against Bruno Silva to start his year. Followed that up with a first-round knockout win against Sean Strickland, who we just did a recap of him fighting this past Saturday, and a fifth-round knockout win against former champ Israel Adesanya. Adesanya was likely winning that fight, albeit, albeit very closely entering the end of that fight. Alex Pereira needed that knockout punch to make sure he walked away with the belt. I think he was probably going to lose by decision, and he got it done. He shot up the rankings. He was fast-tracked to a title fight. And he showed why he's the champion. Pereira is likely going to face some extremely tough competition in 2023, including a rematch with former champ Israel Adesanya. But if he has the belt still by the end of 2023, I think it'll be extremely impressive in this talented weight class and maybe the most impressive feat out of all these champions. So if all these champions, whoever still has a belt at the end of 2023, I think their road to belt retention will be most impressive. Only outlier being, I think, Francis Ngannou. If he beats John Jones and then follows it up beating another top heavyweight, that's going to be pretty impressive as well. But Pereira staring down, staring down the barrel of Israel Adesanya. Um, Jared Cannonier just got another win. Robert Whitaker. I mean, there are some high-level guys who are all next in line for a shot at the title, which is just, you know, Strange, but it is what it is. Coming in at number two, lightweight champion Islam Makachev. 2-0 in the UFC with a knockout win over Bobby Green in round one and a shocking second round submission win against the all-time UFC submission king, Charles Oliveira, to take that title from him. Finding a spot on this list for Makachev was maybe the hardest out of everyone because to me, his first victory was a fight against an older fighter who really wasn't given a chance at winning, who also took the fight on short notice, who also, we just talked about this past Saturday, getting finished and knocked out. But his title-winning fight for, Char- for Islam Makachev was against a future UFC Hall of Famer and a lightweight who was on one of the most impressive win streaks ever seen in the UFC. Regardless, Islam definitely deserves to be near the top of this list. I have him in at number two. So to round off our rankings, coming in at number one, the current pound-for-pound king, featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky. 2-0 in 2022 with a fourth-round knockout title defense against the Korean zombie Chang Sung Jung and a third decision victory against future UFC Hall of Famer Max Holloway. Volk just keeps looking better and better, and he now shifts his focus in 2023 to becoming a double champ as he goes after the lightweight belt. Volkanovski became the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world during 2022 as well. Felt right to put him at number one. Max Holloway, 
your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. A lot of people just love him, love his ability. He's incredibly talented in the octagon. To beat him for a third time is incredibly impressive. And it's, you know, shout out to the king, Alexander Volkanovsky. He comes in at number one. Those are our power rankings. Again, these are the current champions power ranking their 2021 calendar year for what I thought was least impressive to most impressive. Just a fun little exercise to end our year. But let's shift focus to surprise title challengers by the end of 2023. All right, y'all, buckle in. These are surprise title challengers by the end of 2023. So what that means is I think these are fighters who I think will be challenging for a title in early 2024 after getting some big wins in 2023. So what I tried to do is find fighters outside the top five who I thought are maybe one, two, three at most wins away from fighting for a title in early 2024. These are fighters who I think can really get the ball rolling and kind of come out of nowhere a little bit, if you will. They're highly ranked, but be kind of surprised title challengers. So some of these are reaches, guys. That's kind of the point, but I want to see how we do a year from now. Jessica Andrade is number one. Now, she's higher ranked at strawweight, but she's the number six ranked women's flyweight, and I think that is where she's going to fight for the title. I'm not sure if she wants to do the weight cut anymore down to strawweight. She already has a fight lined up with number four ranked Lauren Murphy at flyweight in early 2023 and i could see her having one more fight later in the year against a first or second ranked fighter in the weight class for the next title shot to start 2024 it's number six jessica andrage fighting number four lauren murphy already lined up andrage wins that fight i'm thinking she's ranked two or three and then if she has one more fight later in the year against a number one or two ranked fighter someone up there near the top I could see her then being the next to fight for a title against Valentina Shevchenko, most likely, but who knows, in 2024. Our next fighter we're highlighting is Sean Brady, number eight at welterweight. This is our first kind of long shot pull here. He's coming off of a loss to end 2022, but he's very active. I could see him having another active year, fighting twice or possibly three times if he can find fighters willing to fight him in 2023. This weight class does like to sit and wait for their chance to fight for the title, but it would be interesting to see Sean Brady fight first anyone in the top 10, and then if he wins, match him up against a top-ranked fighter like an Edwards, Usman, Covington, Chemaev, Burns, to see how he holds up against the division's elite. If he can beat one of them later in the year, I think it would be tough to keep him away from a title shot to start 2024. So while he did just lose, I think he's two, two big wins away from being right back at a shot at a title. The last fighter that we're going to highlight is Song Yadong, number eight ranked bantamweight, another fighter coming off of a loss. Look, I said these are surprises for a reason. There are a few fighters that need to see if they can get into the top five in this division. And I think it's Rob Font and Dominic Cruz. So I think he should face one of the two of them. I think you put Song Yadong against Rob Font or Dominic Cruz next. If he wins that fight, he could find himself right on the fringe of the top five with a shot at someone at that level. So another win at that level can put him next in line by the end of the year. If needed, he's an active fighter. I think he could fight a third time by the end of the year in a title eliminator. 
against whomever that could be at that point in time. So like I'm saying here, Song Yudong, number eight, match him up against someone six or seven, five. Uh, a Rob Font or Dominic Cruz, I think, makes sense. If he wins, you put him right there around five in the rankings, uh, right on the fringe. Match him up against any of those guys in the top five. If he wins that fight, and the more I talk about it, I, don't, I think he would probably need a third one. So maybe the end of the year, December or next year, if he wins that fight ranked at number five against anyone in the top five, let's say he ends up at number two or three, you then match him up to end the year against whoever is in the top three left to kind of do a title eliminator so that the winner of that fight then gets the title shot in 2024. So these are long shots, guys. We're talking about things where these guys have to be a little bit active, potentially. I wanted to find people outside of the top five to kind of make it a little bit more of a surprise. And we'll see how it goes. Those are fighters that I think have the ability to fight for a championship. I think depending on how they do in those upcoming fights will tell us whether or not they are of champion caliber. But that's the point, right? We want to find out who has that champion medal built into their blood so they can go out there and get it done. So those are our fun little topics to end our year. Guys, it's been a fantastic year. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. All right, time to wrap up the podcast. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. I'll be posting some news maybe in the next few weeks on social media for the podcast. Um, if I see any exciting storylines that pop up, you know, maybe we'll do an impromptu podcast or, you know, we're just going to see how it goes. Honestly, too, it's the holidays, end of the year. Maybe we take a little break just like the UFC is and we regroup when the UFC comes back. Please go follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. Check out www.thehomestylemmapodcast.podbean.com for additional information about the podcast. We're going to keep growing on social media. We had a lot of engagement. Feel free to comment on anything. Uh, I comment on a lot of things from other MMA media members as well. Uh, you know, shoot me a message if you have questions, opinions. You know, it's. I'm all ears here. Whatever you guys want to talk about, let's go ahead and do it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, and review. And this wraps up the podcast for 2022. We started in beginning of July. It's been a fun few months. Looking forward to seeing what 2023 brings for us. We'll be back on at uh, the latest. Like I said, maybe we'll do an impromptu pod or something. I don't know, but that'll depend on if any news comes out in the next few weeks with no one fighting. Probably not going to be too much to talk about, so let's enjoy our time off. But we'll be back on January 12th, 2023, to preview UFC Fight Night Imavov versus Gastelum, taking place on January 14th. Enjoy your time off. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Y'all have a good one. <laughs>